Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, the Premier's Cheesecake, Indian Efficiency, Bath Beer, and Dr. Sylvain Charlebois joins us to talk milk substitutes. How are things with you? Uh, things are well. Uh, I sometimes feel a little bit curious that I've gotten used to this weird sort of quarantine version of my life, right? I have new patterns and habits and all that sort of stuff, which feels a bit nuts. Um, but here we are, uh, and it continues, uh, and it's a very crazy wild time to be to be alive. Still, it still is. I think it's surreal. Yeah. Yeah. This new normal. Yeah, it's it's super weird. Um, now I will say. There are a few more things around to have a little bit of a laugh about, uh, which I think is pretty delightful. And the first piece that I brought to you here is this uh, is this is this talk about the video of Ontario Premier Doug Ford's cherry cheesecake. I had not seen it. Right? Thank you for forwarding. <laughs> My pleasure. He had mentioned it. I believe he mentioned it in a press briefing one day. He just casually talked about it in advance of a long weekend or something like that. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, please tell me we're going to see this recipe. I need to know if he is boasting about it. He got this like dreamy look in his eyes. Uh, he was boasting about it. And I was like, tell me everything. Uh, so smart. Uh, he did a video. I, I, I think one of his kids shot the thing wearing a we're in this together T-shirt. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, I was like, amazing a video. We actually get to see the man make it. And look, the whole truth is, granted, it should be known, I'm a chef who actually is quite comfortable doing cooking demonstrations on television, but the video is just a hot mess. It is a hot, hot mess. You he, thought so? Oh, well, I mean, it's because when I'm watching him and the way he was using his hands and then he pressed the graham cocker in, it was all like jaggedy and the top ends were burned when he pulled it out and he wasn't... That I noticed, yeah, right? the burn. He did not, yeah. he did not diligently brush spread everything to the furthest corners and oh that's your pet peeve. <laughs> you know exactly how I feel about things like that uh and there was a part of me that even wished that I could have gone in to set his table up for him and had the right spatula and the bowl you know what I mean it just it wasn't set up however uh I think it's lovely that he did it uh I think I agree was, I think it's super important that he did it uh there was this hilarious moment where he took a, a bit on a finger and tasted it and then kissed his gloved hand. I thought it was amazing that he kissed his gloved hand. And I was like, yeah, buddy, it is tricky to remember how to use those gloves properly. I found uh, the glove a little off-putting. Totally. Actually, I haven't... Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because I have friends who barbecue. And I know on the right. barbecue circuits, the gloves are quite prominent. Yes. They use- gloves but i haven't seen them in other contexts is it normal to bake no with it's gloves that on? is all okay. a covid based response right oh uh, that's you all think that it was is a hundred but he wasn't wearing a face mask he wasn't he wasn't hmm. uh but the gloves and i think and plus they were black i think the gloves they were blue they were those also, blue hospital they were gloves. dark okay yeah those okay. and really sort of just really visually obvious uh hmm. i don't like them i don't like using them uh i don't think he should have I think it would have been just fine enough for him to make it right. <laughs> so if it's COVID related, it's spectacularly delightful that he licked them then. Exactly. That's amazing. Exactly. Okay. 
I didn't right? catch that detail. I am pretty sure that it was COVID. Re- it was you know oh. pandemic related, and that's why it's oh. so funny. Uh, but God bless him, right? And I like the the local food advocate inside of me could not hold my tongue, and so I retweeted it and tagged mm-hmm. him in the message, being like, "Mr. Premier." Well done. Good for you. This is a lot of fun. And I said, and of course, that's all Ontario dairy in that cake, right? Uh, And I said, I also feel really much like I want to send you some Ontario cherries when they're in season uh, so that this canned, this canned, uh, this bright, suspiciously red canned nonsense does not have to be, you know? Uh, part of the story. Yeah. It's, it's so funny, right? The the notion me, that the premier is so disconnected to whether or not those are local ingredients and that we grow these gorgeous cherries in Ontario. It's so funny, right? The whole thing is so funny. Yeah, for me, it was less the, the local angle. I did, you know... The re- the recipe did raise some alarm bells. Yes, uh, I have I have not made cheesecake in a very long time, and I my may have only made two in my life. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure powdered Dream Whip was not no honey used, no. and no. I definitely didn't use cherry pie filling. Oof. That being said, mm-hmm. looking at the ingredients, I really got like a '50s feel. Mm-hmm. You know, those seemed like very like it seemed like a very 50s recipe, which made it really feel real that this is a recipe that was passed down. Yes. In his family, because years ago, I'm sure that was, you know, back when we were all about convenience and Mm -hmm. um, in that in that era of cooking, this seems like a very feasible and probably what was a normal cheesecake recipe oh i think back you're totally then. right so right but the in post-war all of my first yeah, yeah. nostal post-war nostalgia i guess is what it is for sure uh my and you first put a whole bunch of was yeah you know ugh, but then i thought no you know this is wonderful this this mm-hmm. feels real it feels like it's a and it's an these honest are the videos thing. that i yes. like it's this is something that's been in my family he clearly he knows the recipe he really does and um and the version so that he for made that reason right. yeah i was able to forgive the the quirkiness of the ingredients because yeah, you know we all have that thing that under normal circumstances we wouldn't eat but for nostalgic reasons or because yes. it's been passed on in our family or for you know it reminds you of a special moment in time yep. you'll you'll prepare it in that way that's exactly so it. i kind of uh, love that i thought it was great and and honestly right honestly the smile on his face at the end he was so happy with himself. Uh, I thought it was delightful. Uh, and then a sweet little epilogue on this story is that there was a chef in the East End of Toronto. I actually think it was probably Scarborough who got that recipe and made a whole bunch of them, packed them up and then uh, donated them to some uh, local food banks, uh, which yeah. I thought was hilarious. That was a, was a nice, sweet bit. Although I did note she changed the ingredients a yes. little bit. She she kept the cherry topping because yeah. I think that would have betrayed the Indeed. the fact that she had used different ingredients. But I'm pretty sure there was no powdered Dream Whip in there. Yeah, the integrity of cheese, I think, was uh, firmer. But good on you, Mr. Premier. It was a nice one. For sure. I feel, you know, he got a lot of criticism online. Yeah, he did. And people were saying, you know, he's trying to distract people from the issues at hand. Right. And I think, you know, on one hand, yeah, he probably was. But if he was, isn't it lovely that he did it with food instead of, yes. you know, creating like a fake scandal somewhere? Or, you know, totally. Look over here. You know, there, yeah, I think politicians sort of have done way hand. worse yeah. in terms of creating distractions. And it, it, I'm sure you agree. Just lovely that he did it with food. 
and totally. cooking. And it was honest. Which is what uh, we're all doing. And friendly, totally. I, I liked it. Hi, Joshna. Hello. So excited to have Dr. Sylvain Charlebois on the line with us again today. One more time. Hello. Welcome, Sylvain. Hello. And Sylvain is a professor in food distribution and policy in the faculties of management and agriculture at Dalhousie University in Halifax. And he's also the senior director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab, also located at Dalhousie University. Such a pleasure to have you back with us. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Awesome. Uh, Sylvain, this time we are bringing you in to talk about a piece that you wrote uh, sharing news about a move that Starbucks is making. Starbucks, obviously, very famous global coffee chain. I've heard of it. Uh, right? <laughs> they have passed one or two on the street. Uh, but they are making a move to replace their cow-sourced dairy with an alternative, uh, and the alternative being either almond, coconut, or soy milk. Uh, and they're talking about it being both less expensive and less carbon intensive. Uh, so I read this and I had a lot of questions and was delighted that you were the one who wrote it uh, so that I could actually call you up and ask. <laughs> yeah, I have questions uh, So, Morella, you go for it. Let's, Or maybe, Savan, do you want to tell us a little bit about this move and your understanding of what Starbucks is trying to do? Yeah, I, I guess what got me to, to think about uh, Starbucks' announcement is that I thought it was a really different spin to um, to food service and climate change than what we've seen with other chains. With other chains, uh, and, and there's been several uh, uh, that, that have announced a, a sustainability plan, I guess, right. uh, S- Starbucks uh, is actually bringing its customers along with it uh, along the ride. I mean, it was it's, it's not just about reducing uh, the carbon footprint of, of the head office, reducing logistics, buying credits. They're actually thinking right. of changing the menu, which yeah. is really something I've never heard before. Mm, that's interesting. It is a dramatic move. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it got me thinking, oh, wow, this is, this is a bit of a social contract between Starbucks and, and its customers, really. And do you think it's due to demand? Well, Starbucks demand or customers are are different than say uh, customers uh, who would go to Tim Hortons. Uh, they're not, <laughs> yeah, they're yes. not they're not as price sensitive, so yeah. they they do have that advantage. They can play around with their price points much more easily than 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 that Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons they raise their coffee cup by five cents. Uh, there's a riot on the street, <laughs> whereas Starbucks nobody really notices. And so it's already they, overpriced. So. Yes. It, well, exactly. If, if, so if they use almond milk or soya milk or a pricier ingredient, they can they have that luxury to increase price points. They can charge a premium. But uh, I read in your article as well that their goal is to eventually um, create enough of a demand that then they increase the, I guess, the farming practices and that'll eventually drive down the cost. And, and this is my is interpretation. Right? And uh, to be honest, uh, guys, I, I got a call from Starbucks Seattle as okay. a result of this op-ed and because they wanted to be clear that uh, that uh, they're not necessarily ditching dairy in there and, and they want to promote alternatives, of course. Uh, but they did, they were sensitive about 
the fact that I was telling the world through my op-ed that uh, that I think Starbucks is going to move away from dairy, and I think they are by 2030, because when you look at uh, at some of the data that is being released by by different universities around the world, comparing say dairy milk and almond milk, cashew milk, soya milk, and oat milk, you can see that the carbon footprint, the environmental footprint of dairy milk is much more substantial than others. Uh, except for, there is one exception. Almond milk requires a lot right. of water. I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask was, about that. Me too. <laughs> but, but it doesn't require as much land and resources. Hmm. It doesn't release as, as much gas, gas emissions. So, so there is. Sylvain, are you talking about carbon footprint per, let's say, liter of milk? Or are you talking total? Because, of course, there's a lot more you know, milk, milk out there than there oh, is. Oh, absolutely. No, so it's, it's per liter. It's per, uh, liter. per liter of milk. There was, a, uh, there was one study that was released by the University of Oxford in 2018. And they and I think they do a pretty good job comparing all all four, five different types of, of milk. Mm. The, only, the only issue I have with that study, it doesn't look at logistics. So if, let's say, for example, well, almond, well, in Britain or here in Canada, we don't produce salmon. We ask it, we ask, it has to come from somewhere else. Well, yeah. that adds to that carbon footprint. Right. And, Absolutely. And that study doesn't capture that. Oh, they don't. They're just counting production. That's ah. right. Ah, when it's Once virtually you have all the ingredients in place. Yeah. yeah. When so when there is these... that, that distinction that needs to be recognized. It does because the almond, coconut, and the soy are almost all. Import it. Like there are few regions in the world where these are produced in enough quantity to be able to to make this milk. Yeah, but I can tell you guys the one product that I think has a lot of potential being in Canada is oat milk. It's, it's huge right now in Canada. Yep. Yeah. A lot of it too. Huh? Have you ever have you ever had oat milk? I've had yep. I've had it once in a. I haven't had it by itself. I've had it in a. Huh. In a in a. Uh, cappuccino or something like that. It's not bad, and and the one thing I've noticed in recent months is that uh, the price for oat milk is starting to drop. It's almost at the same level as regular milk. Imagine. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So it's because huh. it's the, the the to process and produce oat milk is less expensive than than than, than cashew almond. And, and soya. So it's going to be very interesting to see how things go. And there's a lot of push out west in Western Canada to sell oat milk. And, and by the way, guys, we cannot call oat milk oat milk in Canada. We have to call it a oat beverage. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. Legally. Very important. Yes. Like the M-Y-L-K, right. That's a thing? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot oh, of uh, juice and smoothie, vegan, juicy companies. They have a yellow milk that is M Y L K. I don't know. I just to let you know, Sylvie, I'm a I'm a milk person. I'm a I'm a cow milk person. Oh, me too. Uh, I, 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 I love dairy. I love. Che- I cannot live without cheese. I yeah, also uh, I'm actually quite a fan of oat milk, and I do use it when I'm making my turmeric lattes and mm-hmm. things oh. like that. But my morning cafe latte is uh, milk. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you know. When I hear things like Starbucks is going to get rid of milk entirely, I, I do get a little bit upset. Um, and I just had some thoughts, and you know things, so I just wanted to get your thoughts. Because uh, the first thing is just the nutritional value, right? Because all these substitutes might be better environmentally speaking, but can can any of them really match the nutritional value in milk? 
I think they all uh, have differences. Uh, I was raised on a dairy farm, so you know where I stand. I actually believe in the product uh, very much. Uh, But I also believe in democracy. I mean, I think it's important to give choice to people. For the longest time, uh, I think agriculture has done a lousy job providing choices to different folks. And because of Mm. social media in recent years, the lovely thing about social media is that it actually allows uh, consumers to voice their opinions, concerns, and, 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 and the food industry is adapting. And that's why we're seeing more choice provided to consumers. So if I walk into a Starbucks and they give me a choice, that's great. I'll stick to milk personally, but it'd be great if my my friend who's a vegan, for example, would want something else and, and not feel excluded in the process. I agree with that 100%. I guess my concern was more the idea that they might phase it out entirely. Oh, yeah. Sitting well there, with me. There, there is a possibility for sure. Uh, and, and of course, uh, there's uh, there's there's messaging in social on social media that it is it, that is quite aggressive. I think the dairy industry in Canada doesn't realize what's actually happening. They're losing uh they're they I think they're losing their social license little by little. Uh, without really noticing. Uh, People are concerned about animal welfare and and about the environment. And so they're not building a case for themselves. And that needs to happen. Can I ask you this, Sylvain? When when I read things like this, obviously because of who I am and what I do, I'm always looking to see what level of, what depth of sincerity is actually happening in in an effort to take better care of our planet, let's say. Yeah. Um, right? And obviously because you wrote this thing, I the credibility was boosted uh, as opposed to any other thing that I would read, but in your opinion, what like what 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 positive what positive impacts particularly on climate change could we actually see here? Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's I think right now uh, a growing number of people are are questioning humanity's relationship with agriculture and nature. And of course, we all, I think most of us don't know much about agriculture. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, of course, our standpoint is is about consumption, consuming food. And... um, and we're so fascinated by convenience. We're we're longing for convenience. We're uh, now we have uh, different movements reminding us ourselves of how important the environment and different issues are important to us. And I think we're seeing this recalibration between um, what we want and what we should want (laughs) for the betterment of of the planet and everything else and and our lives really as a, as human beings eating together, sharing stuff right now, food is just dividing everybody, man, it's ugly. Well, speaking of division and, and climate concerns, you know, that's the other angle on this for me is that this article was really about the carbon footprint, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, a big buzz right now, but you know, taking a step back, Sylvain, you already mentioned the issues with uh, water, with almonds, yes. know, and the almond milk. And I also remember a while ago there was a lot of concerns around soy. When uh, there was, this is quite a while ago, maybe the late '80s or '90s, when vegetarianism became a bit more of a mm-hmm. thing, and tofu production, everything went up, and there were issues with, 
deforestation and with soil erosion. So it's almost like everywhere you turn, there's another issue and you almost have to pick <laughs> yeah, or there's, like, oh, there's yeah. no well, food you can there's is, no food right? yeah. you can yeah, pick your priority either that or you know it feels like everything you eat is problematic so then it's hard to <laughs> and, you know and that's I think part of that disjoint you're talking about in the fight yeah the, yeah, judging the judgment and, is a huge bit of this it's tense yeah absolutely and it's uncomfortable uh, I mean uh, there was there was a there was actually an event uh, the other day I was with a group of people and ordered a steak and I had to explain. <laughs> I had to explain myself. Wow, oh, really? It was kind of, it, it's bizarre. And and I think it boils down to one thing, respect. Uh, I think we need to respect uh, each other's choice uh, as much as, like, I really, I have to say, I mean, some, some vegans are, are just, crazy on, on social media but most most vegans are really rational uh <laughs> balanced people my friends that are vegans here are great people and and so i, I think we shouldn't we shouldn't succumb to uh fanatism or anything like that we need we need to go back to the basics as much as as we can all right morella i found this uh Lovely little conversation about uh, efficiency in the Indian kitchen that I wanted to talk to you about because mm-hmm. I uh, essentially what what uh, what this this person was telling a story about this practice of uh, efficiency so as not wasting using up little scraps and having a purpose for leftover things can continue into something else. Um, but the way this was framed, I thought it was really fascinating because I had never really considered that that practice that sort of frugality and economizing and things in the kitchen had any impact on the food on the way the food tasted or the kind of food that was cooked right Hmm. and I didn't know that this practice had a name right when I read the description it was very familiar to my Indian family in the kitchen and all of those things but I had no idea that it was called something jugad was this Hindi word that they talked about this this uh, res- this efficiency that stems from deep respect for food and feeding and that sort of thing. Um, and I loved it. I thought I would bring out this conversation because it's, I think I've also realized that what I got just by virtue of my cultural heritage has really informed so much of the way I cook. Because when I really thought about it, that is all I did cooking lunches at the stop. Right. It's like uh, just being efficient, reusing as much of it as you can. I mean, these are all very positive things. You know, I read a few things on the list, like, you know, eating the stems on broccolis and cauliflowers. I was like, who doesn't do? I guess some people don't. And then the answer is many, many people. It's true. Um, I loved also the way it was framed from a perspective of, you know, someone who was always really attached to the, the food they that they grew up with and right. it gave them a sense of home wherever they were, but they didn't truly discover it or the true depth mm-hmm. of what that cuisine could mm-hmm. be until they got home. And it, it just really, it resonated with me. First of all, just the, the idea of this convenience, right? right? And right. this person lived in Australia and somewhere else. Yes. And then a part of the, U- in the U.S. Yes, I think so. And just talking about how they could, you know, recreate that sense of home because all the ingredients were handy and affordable. Right. And that's certainly something we're spoiled with 
here. Totally. I mean, just a, you know, if I want to get rapini, I can get rapini. To me, growing up, that was normal. And then I mm-hmm. moved to Montreal and I went to my corner store and there was no rapini. Right. And I freaked out. Yeah. Um, but this idea that having all this access to all these things lets us reproduce the dish, but it's not capturing the spirit necessarily. Yes. And that it was the true spirit that came out when they moved to, is it to Mumbai? I think she, I think she moved to Mumbai. That um, was it. To India, yep. regardless. And was faced with all these restrictions due to the apartment space and, and, um, foreign foods being very expensive right. and yeah. and then having being pushed into this jugad mentality yeah. and rediscovering her native cuisine that way or it was a him i think oh that's, that's their a good native question cuisine. i, I love that i yeah. love that it was not obvious that's great mm. uh one of the things that struck me a lot uh was the idea that somehow in this process the end of one meal always sort of is the start of the next Right. Right. Whatever your little leftover bits. I kind of love the continuity of the spirit of that. And for sure, that's like a dreamy romantic thing. Uh, But I I really, really loved it. Uh, I thought it was very sweet. Um, And I've really been thinking about this idea that if you use different cues, if it's not just about following a recipe and having everything exactly the way you need it, uh, what does the food taste like? Right. And I, I think the biggest piece, it means that everything you cook is never the same over and over again. Right. Every dish yeah. is its own sort of masterpiece or creation, which I really think is awesome. Yeah. And the idea that if you limit yourself, it boosts your your creativity, right. which, you know, is all has always been true. This is another little piece that that caught my eye. Tell me. And I wanted to touch on because uh, the, the author talks about is it Jugad? Jugad, yes. It? Jugad, the double A, yes. And how growing up it was a term they knew and that it was seemed like a dirty term and it was sort of associated with like hacking something, you know. Right, uh, right. A little dodgy. And like now a, it's a like buzzword. Like cutting corners or something, right. Yeah. And now it's it's a big buzzword and it just made me think of how much hacking is a buzzword here. Totally. Right? That's so Everything. funny. Yeah. I'm, I am sick of the word hack. You know, it's like how yeah. to shovel you hacked how hack to shovel your driveway. Use a shovel and shovel it. That's not yeah. a hack. That's just yeah. how you shovel your driveway. That was a stupid example. Yeah. And hack not required. Everything's for this. called yes. a hack, and, and yet all these hacks seem to have the opposite spirit than the jugad. Yes, it's the truth. Right. That is really interesting. They're not interesting. about how to be most efficient. They're about how to get there more quickly, how to, and you yeah. might need. Six other six other bits of apparatus, or, you know, <laughs> to pull it off <laughs> to get it done, but it's faster or it's nifty in yes. some way. It, so exactly, just this in this interesting polarity between the two types of hacks. Yeah, that is really smart. And like, what's your real intention here in the kitchen? I like that. Thanks. Josh and I have a question for you. Talk to me. Have you ever had a shower beer? I have never had a shower beer. I just learned of the phenomenon of the shower beer like maybe six months ago. I had no yeah. idea that this is a thing. Uh, I have been exhausted in the shower, uh, you know, sore feet and just barely able to put it all, you know, a hard day, all of that. But I have never had the thought that what I needed was a was a cold beer. I love the idea. 
Uh, are you it's, a shower beer drinker? It's interesting because I it also was not on my radar. Okay. Embarrassingly. And a, a, about three years ago, there were a rash of articles on shower beers. Everyone was talking okay. about shower beers. And I shared them on my social media. And immediately everyone was asking me if I'd had a shower beer. And I thought, okay, well, got to do it. Uh, clearly. Um and so I did. I must admit, it's a, it is a delightful experience. Okay. The issue, I mean, definitely, the, you know, the hot water and the beer, it's just a real unwinding. Right. The issue for me is I'm just so conscious of the waste of water. When I take a shower, I step in, I clean myself, I leave. Okay. And I'm not, I don't chug my beer. So just staying in the shower to finish my beer the anxiety of wasting water was higher than the relaxing powers. Oh my god, that's so sweet. That is so sweet. It canceled each other, it so, canceled itself out, right? <laughs> so imagine my delight when I came across this article mm-hmm. recently proposing the bath beer. Tell me more. Cause now yeah, everyone ostensibly has a little bit more time on their hands. Right. And they're, you know, this the author of this particular piece had identified some issues with the shower beer and was saying, you know what, if you, if you just relax in the bath and have a beer, it becomes a meditative experience because mm-hmm. you're sitting there anyway, the beer can dictate the length of the bath and uh, you can really just appreciate the experience in a different way, which really resonated with me. I really like the distinction about the fact that when you're having a shower beer, the focus is still on the shower and the beer is like a, is an, as an add on compliment. But when you're mm-hmm. drinking a bath beer, the beer is the main event, right? The beer right, is Because when you're showering, shots. it's an active experience, That's but it. bathing is a passive. And the beer experience. calls the shots for how long you're in the bath. Whereas uh, you're once that shower's over, you're gonna probably take the whatever leftover can of beer out of the. You know what I mean? If you haven't finished it, it's probably you're probably yeah. not gonna stand in the shower with no water running, finishing your beer. Yeah, or uh, or with the water. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I wasn't into. I I didn't think so. Now, one of the things that I laughed a lot because uh, when I read this, and then there was like all these detailed bits about how to set the mood and they're like yep. don't light a scented candle so as not to obfuscate you know what i mean to interfere with your experience of the beer the beer yep the thing that made me laugh so much was that i was like wait a minute haven't women been doing this with wine for years <laughs> <laughs> what is what is special about this is it just that dudes have figured this out and dudes are like wait we can drink beer in the bath because the Right. The idea of a woman in a bubble bath with a glass of wine is very commonplace thing that we can pull from, you know, move but, pop culture. But is it a thing that really happens or is it just a thing? That I, I know people who regularly take baths with glasses of wine. OK, definitely. Moms like when they put those little ones to bed, they mm-hmm. crack open a bottle of wine, they sit in the bath half an hour, whatever it is. Uh, I know I know a number of women who do this. I'm not a bath taker. Uh, but a lot of my house with these beautiful houses in suburbia with these giant bathrooms where they can have soaker tubs uh, and mm-hmm. they drink wine. Uh, definitely. Uh, I, th- I thought it was so funny that I was like, it's just a sort of a dude's version of it all. But but sweetly enough, by following his wife's advice, that right, his great. partner's advice, I believe he really maximized his experience there by really laying into the luxury of the bath. Yeah, I loved uh 
that he embraced the candles. Me too. And I'd always thought of the candles as just being, you know, a moods. Again, to me, the whole idea of wine in the bathtub with the candles is very cinematographic. I didn't think it was something that happened in okay, real life, but okay. I guess that right. speaks to the kind of people I spend my time right, with. Right, yep. Um, but I loved his practical idea that it just helps you not see anything that might be I, I thought that was helpful too. In the bathtub. Right? Any sort it makes of me wonder how filthy bits. he is, but... Because uh, <laughs> I, I do bathe quite often, but I, I don't see a lot of stuff right. floating around in there. It's, uh, I thought that was that there was function to the dim light as opposed to just setting the mood. I thought that was very cute. Um, and the other thing I loved, which I think is a strong argument for bath beer versus wine in the tub, is the alcohol. Because he, he mentioned that he tried a 7% alcohol beer. And it was too much. Yes. And the truth is you do have to be very careful if you're soaking in a warm bath and you're drinking alcohol. You can really raise your temperature, your body temperature in an uncomfortable yes. way. Um, oh, and so in that case, that if you're having it. a beer, it's a lot lower alcohol than a wine, right? Oh, that's smart. Now that I think about it, I have had bubbles in a, in a Canadian winter in an outdoor hot tub. Nice. Right? Where the bottle just sits in the snow to stay nice and cold, but you are nice mm-hmm. and warm, but all your eyelashes and stuff are frozen. They're Canadian, but that's a sort of bath beer. It's a bath beer remix. It is. It is. I like I it. It's super sweet. Delightful. And I love that it solved my whole anxiety issues around about the water wasted. The waste yeah. of water. <laughs> so you can I'm really okay relax. with taking a bath every now and again. Yeah. That's it. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at hotplatepod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.